They're all saving one, or most of them, most of the Hampshire fielders are saving one. Somerset need one run. It's Edwards to Hildreth. He's there and bowls Hildreth, and he gets the run away through the onside, and Somerset have won. They've won the Royal London One Day Cup. Good evening and welcome along to this episode of Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. This is the Somerset Cricket Podcast. My name's Ian Shepherd. Joining me as always are Steve Tancock, Dan Kingdom and the voice of cricket on BBC Radio Somerset, Anthony Gibson. Tonight we're going to be discussing a nine-wicket victory for the Somerset boys up at the Upton Steel County Ground, formerly known as Grace Road. And Tom Lamanby's return to form in a nine-wicket win. Tom making a fluent 17 out alongside skipper Tom Abel with 35. Unbeaten to get us back to winning ways. Anthony, you were there firsthand. What did you make of it all? Yeah, it was a very good performance. Um, it, Somerset had their usual moments, like losing three wickets in three quarters of an hour on the, uh, on the second evening. Um, no, on the first evening, rather. Um, but um, Craig Overton was immense, absolutely immense. He, he bowled, bowled his heart out, and he was head and shoulders above any other bowler in the game, with the exception of Jack Leach, who got better as the match went on, which was really, really encouraging. And it was good to see Tom Lambert getting some runs and getting a bit of confidence in the in the second innings. So we needed to beat uh, Leicester. It wasn't as easy as the nine-wicket margin sounds. You know, there, there were times, notably when we lost those those three wickets, when, you know, Leicester were very much in it. And they put up a tough fight as well, up until about the last three-quarters of an hour, when they rather threw in the towel. But, you know, with Paul Nixon uh, coaching them or, or director of cricket for them, you know, they are, they are a tough outfit. And they'll give other counties in the group a good test as well so yeah, it was it was a very good win and uh, you know the, the boys were really really happy at the end of it as they were singing blackbird <laughs> in the changing room it was it was a fantastic rendition of blackbird one of the best i have heard uh, and um, you know you could you could sense the, the feeling of achievement and revival in the team Steve, you uh, wax lyrical about Craig Overton on your blog post on Saturday night. Just how impressed mm-hmm. was he? Uh, I, I've got into some interesting social media conversations with people. What I said was, I think he is now in the top three of quick bowlers in my lifetime at Somerset. Um, and that's, to me, it's Garner Miles at number one and Caddick a very good number two and that's how highly I've rated Craig over the last couple of years I've seen I've seen him bowl on some pretty lifeless tracks and just really get it into I I did some stats as well and his analysis sorry to steal Dan's thunder here but the second innings he was five for 25 and all the other seam bowlers were three for 191 across the two teams and the other Somerset bowlers were two for 120 in 32 overs. So they were going at four and over. Craig was barely going over one and over. Um, I just, I cannot speak highly enough of him. I think he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, he, to me, he was the difference maker. In, in, if you wanted to say, I know your man of the match hole he won it by a mile and that didn't understate it and you're not talking about him bowling alongside some pretty average county bowlers there's some really fine bowlers in there but I, I'm going to say as well so at the add on I thought Tom Abel's captaincy especially on Saturday 
was spot on after lunch there that my head was Overton and Leach were the prime combination and Craig is bowling quickly for a long spell with Jack Leach at the other end and that's no mean physical feat either so it's hard to judge but Anthony you said last year on comms you felt he'd added that yard that England had asked him to add what's it what's your comparison this year with large because it's hard on the string to tell well, I, I, he's, he's as quick this year as he as he was last year, if not a little bit quicker. I don't think he's consciously straining for extra speed, as maybe you know he was trying to be to bowl faster last season after the time he spent in the England camp. But uh, Richard Ray, the Leicestershire commentator, who's a good judge of, of cricket, reckoned he was the, the quickest bowler in the game by a, by a margin, which means he was quicker than Marchant Delanger. And, and Marchant was, you know, he was bending his back. Not all of the time, but from time to time, he bowled some pretty fierce bounces. And, and for Richard to say that he reckoned Craig was quicker than Marchant is quite a compliment to, to Craig. And I, I'd agree with you at the, about um, Craig in the sort of pecking order of Somerset quick bowlers. Although I'd, I, um, um, I would find it very hard to put him above Fred Rumsey just yet. I, I missed Fred Rumsey in my defence, just. <laughs> you didn't see him? Oh, well, he was great. He was no. great. Still, he's a great man. Still is a great man as well. <laughs> if Steve never saw him, I'm sure that me and Dan won't have, uh, won't have <laughs> seen him. Uh, Dan, batting performance-wise then, a few questions put to bed with uh, Lammers getting himself back into a bit of form, but um, yep. still a few questions around Tom Banton's suitability for opening the batting. What did you make of uh, Banton's uh, contribution? Yeah, there's still questions with Banton and I just wonder how much he's improved over these six he's had six innings now opening the batting in a role he's not really done before uh, in first class cricket he still looks a bit frenetic, he still looks like he could get out you know, any at any time really. And the one time I think he's looked that I think he's looked comfortable, I've not seen every single ball, but the one time he looked comfortable was sort of the second half of his second innings against Middlesex. You know, and that was when he made thirty seven or so. But apart from that, yeah, he just it's it's difficult to see if he's improving. Um but I'm not saying that he should, you know, move down the order. I think I said before the season that if he's gonna open he should get a run of games. Because that's the only way that he's going to learn. You know, he was never going to come in and be a perfect opener. So we kind of have to back him now. And I'm sure he will improve. You know, he's a talented player. But the flip side of it, and I've read about this before the season, is he, he, I don't think he's a long-term opener. And I just wonder, is it worth him trying to be an opener now when that could, you know, affect other areas of, of his game? You know, it could take away from his, you know, limited overs batting, which is obviously what he's, mainly known for and you know I think in forward cricket I think long term is likely to be a middle order player so I just wonder if it's actually worth him doing it but also it's kind of the only spot available for him at the moment isn't it so I think that's that, that is partly why he ended up opening yeah, um, if, if Tom Abel doesn't want to open the batting then like you say he's he's the only sort of option it's the only space for him in the side really, yeah. I, was, I was thinking about this earlier today and when he came on the scene Vance the comparisons were to Kevin Peterson Joss Butler, uh, A.B. de Villiers, these 360 degrees one-day players who are just so suited to the T20 game and can just play these incredible innings and these incredible shots. But when they play Red Bull cricket, they are all middle-order players. And I think Bance's suitability is as a middle-order player. And we've got players who are better suited to opening the batting, such as Steve Davis, who I think 
if he's doing it at 34, 35, he's going to be a stopgap player for a couple of years, so he's maybe not the best long-term option. Um, but I, I can't get away from the team that I keep putting up on Twitter of ha- leaving a bowler out, a r- rotation, whatever you want to call it, playing the sick batsman, Gibbo shaking his head, six batters, a keeper, three seamers and a spinner. You look at that great Australia team, Steve Waugh's team, that was the model for them. Andrew Strauss's great team that won in Australia, that was their their makeup as well. Six batters, keeper, three seamers and a spinner. Do we do we ever think it's gonna it's they're ever gonna go with that? And and Gibbo was shaking his head and go on. Let me know what why. There aren't batsmen beating the door down to get in the side. You know, if there was if there was someone who's fantastic form in the second eleven who really needed to you know, but you know, good old Eddie Byram. He's 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 had a pretty extended trial, and you know it's bowlers that win matches, not batsmen. And we've got plenty of batting talent. If only they can produce it. Um, oddly enough, um, Tom Banson, I thought <laughs> in the second innings against Leicester, he only got eight, but he looked he actually shaped better in that innings than in the early stages of the innings at, at Lords. And he got an absolute brute of a ball from um, Chris Wright. I, I called it caught behind. In fact, it flipped the top of flipped the top of off off stump, and yeah, it was it pitched middle and hit hit the top of off like a fast leg break. And no batsman in the world could have played that. So he, he was unlucky. But I think he's I think he's beginning to look the part. I think he's just calming down a little bit now. And I think he should be given an extended trial because potentially they're a really exciting opening partnership. And I think the trouble with Steve Davis is he is getting on a bit. He's as, you know, he can be as chancy outside the off stump as any of them. He's just as likely to get out early uh, as Tom Banton. And, and if he's had a long time in the field, keeping wicket, which where you've got to concentrate, 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 at the age of 34 or 35, it's very tough then to go out and open the batting. And I think they'd be asking too much of him. So I think we should stick where we are at the moment. And that's exactly what I expect uh, Jason Kerr to do. But the uh, $64 million question on the lips of every Somerset fan before this game was, is Tom Lamaby going to find himself back in some form? He played a strange shot in first innings. Wandering around, he didn't, a, play, he didn't play a shot. He, just he wandered just, down, wandered down the pitch, and then sort of changed his mind. And, and yeah, that, that didn't look to me like the shot of somebody who just wanted a bad a bit of time. It looked like the shot of somebody who was always trying to find something. He was a bit nervy, and I think maybe getting out in that way just might have focused his mind a little bit. He probably talked about that with Jim Trout in the dressing room, and just said, "Back yourself, back your natural game for the second innings." and the rest, as they say, is history. I didn't get to see much of it. I was out and about on Saturday afternoon. Steve, Dan, Anthony, what what were your thoughts on on Lammers's uh, contribution in that second dig? He was a little frenetic early on, and I think this is the fine lines opening bat, opening the batting, isn't it? He could have easily nicked off early or got connected with one and gone in the slips or something, and he didn't. And once he got. I reckon once he got to about 15, he seemed suddenly like the switch flicked and the things were hitting the middle of the bat. And, you know, we've all said, haven't we, we believe he's a class player and great players only need one one or two triggers all of a sudden. He hadn't, Jason Cursor, didn't he? He hasn't batted long enough to know whether he's in or out of form. Once he batted for, what, I don't know, 20, 25 balls, 
he looked like the Tom Lamanby of last season. But I I sense this, and I may be, you know how much I love Tom Abel, and I may well be putting two and two together and getting a big number here, but I sense that Tom Abel almost got himself out of form a bit because he was he wanted Lamanby to score runs. And I've I thought he he played as a captain. I thought he was excellent, but the way he he marshalled himself in that second innings to me, it was like, no, Lamas, you get on and get fifty, sixty odd, and I'm quite happy to bat at the other end. You know, when when we were chasing them, I thought if they both get forty, fifty odd, that'd be nice. But I think Tom Abel just throttled back a little bit, and I'm sure having him at the other end helped Lamanby immensely. But that was a gutsy knock from Tom Lamanby, and you know. He let's 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 not be too excited because he could get two brutes of a balls in the first over the two innings again this week. You know, gets Middlesex again, and we might be going, oh, what's wrong with Lambie again? That's opening the batting, especially at this time of year. And plug for the blog, Julian Wyatt's written a piece about opening the batting and how techniques have changed. But it's really insightful and reading that that he wrote for me made me really think that, that it's these fine margins that make all the difference. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, it was, it, you know, once he settled down, he played, he played like the Lamanby of last season, you know, the, the, the very careful defence. And then when the, when, when the opportunity to score runs was there, he, he took it, stroked and, and he, he hit the ball beautifully. Um, Tom Abel, yeah, I, I, I agree, but, that he was quite happy to take the back seat. He also had quite a lot of luck. He was he was put down at a second slip, mm -hmm. uh, and and he nicked one that landed just short short of the wicketkeeper. So uh, Tom and and when I spoke to him on the he must have been I lose track of Friday evening after he scored eighty eight. He was really really fed up that he hadn't turned it into a. Um, and that you know that 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 was a shame. But he he's in pretty good form. The one I'm most worried about. Well, I don't know if I'm worried or not, but the one who hasn't got the runs that he should have done is James Hildreth. At the start of the season, he needed 120 runs to overtake Bill Alley as the fourth highest scorer in Somerset cricket, first-class cricket history. And after however many innings it is, um, five, I think, he still hasn't got there. <laughs> and, yeah, and, a couple of bad LBs, 60-odd uh, in that second innings against Gloucester, but apart from that... Yeah. It's been slim pickings for Hildy. I think it's. I think it's just. You know, it's just. I, I think it's just bad luck. I don't think there's anything wrong. Wrong with him, and uh, he'll come good. He's too good not to. So then we'll just uh, give you a quick recap on the uh, of the group two table. Then Hampshire top with fifty eight, Gloucester second with fifty five, Somerset third on thirty nine. Then we have Middlesex on thirty, Surrey on twenty two, and Leicester on nineteen. Now, you and I had a bit of a disagreement on the old social media, Steve, about what the best result was in that um, Hampshire-Gloucester game. Uh, if you weren't aware, uh, Josh Shaw, was it Josh Shaw and Dom Goodman, the last pair for yep. uh, Gloucestershire, saw off the uh, Hampshire onslaught for about 15 overs to secure a draw. Now, I'm of the opinion that a Hampshire win would have been best for us because that would have moved left Gloucester on 47 points only 8 ahead of us you think the draw was the best result Steve I'm going to state my case first that you only have to be in the top 2 to qualify it doesn't matter a jot if you win the group at the end of the season and Gloucester being 8 points closer to us is makes them a hell of a lot easier to catch than them being 16 points away from us now the case of the prosecution your honour 
uh, I I said at the start of the season, and I'm going to stick with my guns that I think Hampshire will not continue. I didn't expect them to start like this. They're a good side. Uh, I think Hampshire are catchable, and I I didn't even. I must admit, thinking it through, I was just. I've never wanted Gloucestershire pair to last together as long as much as I did that last hour on listening to it on Sunday. I we've got to play Hampshire twice. Um, well, first time next week, and I think we can get the better of those two results. Uh, I don't think Gloucestershire will sustain this. Sorry, sorry for the Gloucesters or fake Gloucesters that might be here about, but I don't think they can sustain it. And uh, I would, I would be surprised if they finish third in the group. Personally, so I want us to catch Hampshire. I want us to catch Hampshire very badly, uh, and then when Dan's going to start getting really excited, he's in a couple of weeks where he start looking at the group tables and start saying, well, "If they qualify, you know." So we want we now want Warwickshire to go through if Essex go through because that loss that Essex had at the weekend will adversely affect their starting place in Division One. So to me, it's the, the two Hampshire games are going to be pivotal for us. Steve, Dan, are you uh, witnesses for the prosecution or the defence? I'm not sure which one's which. I was favouring the draw, but I don't think we're going to really know what was the best result until, you know, for, for, for a while yet, because we just we don't know how things are going to pan out. I was just thinking that I don't really want Hampshire to pull away because we've still got to play them twice, and it, it gets, you know, if we lose at the Rose Bowl, suddenly we're like, we'd be pretty much incapable of catching Hampshire because they'd be too far ahead if they'd won and then we'd lose at the Rose Bowl and then obviously we've already lost to Gloucester it's, it'd be difficult to beat them at Bristol um, so I just thought that it would be best to keep both of them sort of in range rather than rather than Hampshire pull away that was my rough thinking but as I said I think we're going to have to wait a few games to really know what the best result was really I had a, I had a real heart and head clash my, my heart was with the you know <laughs> With Goodman and Shaw holding out against the, uh, uh, the Hampshire bowlers, but my head said Hampshire are almost certainly going to qualify top of the group because they're a very, very good side. We're in the we're because of our points penalty and being beaten by the Gloucesters, we're probably in the you know in the battle for second. And if Hampshire beat Gloucestershire and go away and top the group by a mile, then that's great. You know, um, we can we can still. F- finish second the fact that Gloucester held out is going to make it that much more difficult for us to finish second and beating the Gloucesters at Bristol is not going to be easy they're not a bad side I mean they're you know they're a good side so uh, I I did actually I listened I listened to the last hour's commentary (laughs) I couldn't couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to happen (laughs) throughout but you know, good luck, good luck to the Gloucesters. But uh, I don't like Hampshire much, I have to say. But they're a blooming good side, and, and they're going to take a lot of beating. I, I wish I shared Steve's confidence that we could beat them twice. I think it'll, you know, if we if we get away from the Rose Bowl with a draw, we'll be doing well. Mm-hmm. I think we, we can beat them at home, but Rose Bowl would be very difficult. Yeah, obviously, there's the the nightmare game in 2019, wasn't it? That we uh, lost and. Yeah, we lost in twenty. Yeah, we lost twenty eighteen as well. Yeah, so yeah, tough to win there. 
So we're going mm. uh, to all on whether the draw was the best result. And as de facto chairman, I have the casting vote. So there we are. So the draw was the best result. Anthony's smiling. Steve is looking incredibly frustrated. And Dan's just kind of going, what's he talking about? Yeah, I was, I was watching it while I was uh, waiting to bat in our first game down at Torquay on Sunday. And uh, yeah, I, I, thankfully I got to, well, not thankfully, I got to watch the end of it before I went in. And I hit a switch hit for six. So I'm boasting, I'm boasting about oh. that. It was off a 14-year-old leg spinner into one of the shortest boundaries you've ever seen, but I still managed it. Look in the book. Look in the book. Yeah, look in the book. Am I? Any any slightly unfit wicket keepers will be feeling exactly as I'm feeling now. We've got keeper's leg where you can't really sit down and you can't really walk downstairs properly. You have to kind of shuffle down sideways because it just feels like your thighs are on fire for a couple of days. So. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm walking well, sort of hobbling wounded at the moment. But I did uh, have a bit of fun. I took my daughter up to the county ground on Saturday. Um, I needed to get some new keeping gloves, so I popped into Somerset County Sports and had a little wander around the ground. It's looking absolutely glorious. For those hero members of last year, the picture of um, Marcus with everybody's uh, name in it is now hung up on the side of the pavilion. Was it Was it there last time you went, Anthony, for commentary? I've got a feeling it may have gone up with all the rest of us. I don't think it was. I, th I think it's only just recently gone up. I, you know, I don't think it was there for the Gloucester game. I've got a feeling it may have gone up with the rest of the signage for the Lord Botham stand and mm, all the... Yeah. But yeah, so uh, I, I did find my name in there. There's quite a few names in there that uh, uh, sort of uh, rung a bell. Uh, I did take some high-res pictures of it. So if you want me to email them up to you, Steve, so you can trawl through. Please. Try, try and find no, well, they, they'd be good to look on, on the blog. It's a nice sort of thing to have as a featured image now and again. I'll pop them up. I did manage to get one of the whole picture, but they're sort of tops, bottoms and zooms in as well. Um, surprised quite a few ex-players on there as well. Um Beefy's on there, Viv, uh, Vic Mark, Steve Kirby, uh, Gamal Hussain. I'm just going to bore you with a list of ex-players now. Um, and the Member of Parliament for North Somerset, Mr Jacob Rees-Mogg Esquire, who's on there as well. So, um, yeah, it was. Uh, I did spend my pretty much my entire Saturday afternoon just pinching and zooming on my phone, trying to see all of the, uh, any names that I could, uh, I could see on there. Right, looking ahead then to the Middlesex game. I don't think after our discussions that we're going to go for any wholesale changes or indeed any changes at all. The only change I might make would be to give Jack Brooks a run in place of March and Delanger. Um Partly on the basis of um, rotation, because um, Marchand does take an awful lot out of himself with that great shoulder heave that he, he bowls with. And partly because Jack seems to be fit. Um, he was up acting as 12th stroke 13th man at, uh, at Leicester. And it would be good to see him given a go. Because you know, with the best win in the world, Marchand has not set the world on fire since, since he came into the side. And I think Jack, you know, deserves, deserves his chance. So maybe, maybe, maybe that would happen. But that's the only change that I would make. You're going to deny us the pleasure of watching March of Delanger. I say bat, it's hit more really, isn't it? It's a very, it's a very well, uncultured style, straight from the village green or the or the belt. As you would yeah, but say. I mean, Jack Brooks can hit a long ball as well. You know, he, he very Jack Brooks has a first class hundred as well. 
Yeah, he's got first class 100. And remember that uh, last wicket partnership against the Morgan last season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very special, him and. Uh, was it- One of us to match. So, uh, you know, and I like Jack. I like Marchant as well. But I think Jack Jack deserves it. He's, he's, he's too good to be languishing in the seconds without being given a chance to show what he can do. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Steve, Dan, any fees? No, absolutely. Second that. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm up with books coming in, and I think Delanger might be useful at the Rose Bowl in the game after, so it might be give him a rest and then bring him back because Hampshire got a good batting lineup, and Delanger, you know, a point of difference, you know, and I think he does really good balls against Leicestershire. You know, he could run through a batting lineup with his short balls, you know, so could come in useful against a good batting lineup um, on a possibly flat wicket at the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, find Brim Brooks in for Delanger for the next game. Yeah, happy with that. Totally in agreement. Totally in agreement. Right. With that. I'm going to have to leave you, chaps, I'm afraid, as I've got to go and <laughs> steer the barbecue. Captain the barbecue. So we'll see you next week yeah. after what yeah. I sincerely hope. Enjoy, and Anthony. I shall be. Uh, most believe will be a third victory of the season. Enjoy, Anthony. Look forward to uh, me and Dan tweeting you still images of LBWs and runouts. Uh, in our different <laughs> role as de facto third umpire for live streaming county championship coverage. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thanks a lot, chaps. See you soon. Take care, Anthony. Right, did we have... isn't, it, isn't it great that these media gods still have to do domestic chores like the rest of us, though, eh? Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I don't think the barbecue's a chore. I think doing, doing the salad is a chore. I think okay. the, the barbecue is, is the honour, you know. It's uh, you stride out with your meat and you, your tongs. No one is allowed within a just, just so the listeners know, Anthony didn't have a striped apron on while we were recording, unfortunately, which would have been great fun, but never mind. No, he's, he's just going to put it on out of shot. Right, <laughs> listeners' questions. I feel like we should have a jingle for listeners' questions. So, uh, I think they're all about the batting order again, aren't they? Uh, yeah, John, John Hayes said, uh, well, there were several things on that thread. One was about... Leach is showing that he can bat higher up the order, which is probably a good thing to discuss when Anthony's not here because his head would shake so much it would come off. Um, and then he made the point about Banton and Davis switching places. I I think it's a good time to say that I think Stephen Davis is hugely undervalued by Somerset supporters. He he was a slow burn with me. I didn't warm to him I, I really liked his namesake who was our keeper in 2016 Ryan I thought he showed a lot of promise mm-hmm. but I, I think he, he when he walks out at number six now you sort of expect him to get runs mm. and I wouldn't want to take that away you know he he's had two or right, it was losing calls against Gloucestershire but he and Craig had that big partnership on the <laughs> Friday afternoon and they did it again you know on last weekend so I, I wouldn't want to mess that around but I know it's a bit funky, but if if we're in the situation again of having to bat 10 overs at the end of the day on first innings, I wouldn't necessarily opt against Leach going in top and opening. Mm. And, and he's starting the early Jack Leach. And what we see now is a completely different beast batting. He played a couple of glorious extra cover drives. Nice punchy, almost on the up extra cover drives, which any self-respecting opener would be proud of so i don't think i don't think it's that that bad a call but i, I it's so interesting that you know lamanby was the greatest batsman somerset have ever had almost in some quarters on saturday evening and it it just shows doesn't it that uh you know it's just 
it's just so mad at the moment. A week, I was, I, a week is a long time in politics. It's an even longer time in the county championship. I, I had time on quickly on Sat on Sunday rather to listen to some of the other games and then look at the Twitter feeds of other games, and Durham supporters uh, were piling in and you know about their top order. Not supporters were despite Hassi Pamig and Ben Slater batting all day. You know, if they get out, we're done for. It's not just us. It's not just us by any margin. And uh, I think we've got to stick with it, although maybe be a little bit funkier in certain situations. I think initially you can almost dismiss it as a bit of a joke suggestion. All Jack Leach should open the batting. But, Dan, I said last week about the three Ts, technique, talent and temperament, what you need to open the batting. Leach has got two and a bit of those he's definitely got the technique and he's got the temperament he's done it under the most intense pressure in an Ashes test with his mate Ben Stokes to, to win the game yeah I just want to open the batting it's I think for him it's something that he will do that he should do occasionally and that he'll thrive on doing it occasionally he'll thrive on not having the pressure really you know if he's standing with a permanent opener it, it, things would change it, the pressure would be on and you know could he cope against a new ball Frequently, you know, I, I doubt it to be honest. So, I think it's a nice idea, and he does have a good technique. But if anything, I think I put Steve up to open, but not yet. I would, I would still give it a few games because I think Steve has to be a. If he's going to open, it's only going to got to be short term. So I give it a few games, and then by that point, we're at the stage where um, I think we've got. I think we start with eight games, don't we? Then we got two after the blast. I think it's like that. So yeah. we give it to like game six, and then Davis could open for a couple. Then it's the blast anyway, and there's a break, and then he might end up opening those two after the blast. And then you know September's ages away; things could have changed by then. So you know, a couple of stints of Davis opening, I wouldn't be against um, if we decide to, to put Banton down or put Lamaby down. Um, so he, he's the option I prefer, but yeah, I think for now, yeah, as we as we discussed earlier in the podcast, I think we've got to keep carry on with Banton for now. I was uh, talking to Steve Hill last Friday, um, and he you mentioned earlier Peterson and the like. He actually thinks that long term Banton will be Hildreth's replacement at number four, and sees him as a, a Red Bull number four as well. So. <laughs> We've got to find another opener, whether it's Will Smead. Um, I don't know whether, you know, we do get an overseas and maybe Barbara Zam can come and play in September if the world improves a bit and, you know, he do a job for us again. I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility. Yeah, and Banton, when he initially played uh, in 2019, when Banton came to the team, he was at four then. Um, I think he ended the season at five, but that was just because of a rejig of the order. There's nothing he'd done wrong. So clearly, Somerset at that point saw him as a number four, and they put uh, as a number four, and they put Bartlett at five. So that's yeah, it's definitely something they've been um, considering. I think hmm. it does make you wonder though if if they're putting Bance in as a as a uh, not necessarily a makeshift though, but they're blooding him as an opener when he's not really an opener. He's like you say, he's a four or five. Why not just go the whole hog and stick Will Smead in there? Because he's, you know, Gimbo has waxed lyrical about him being the most technically correct young Somerset batsman that he's seen in a long time. Would that plan not have made more sense? Well, then someone would have had to miss out, though, wouldn't they? So, Banton okay. and Because you, you play six batsmen, Steve Davis, and three bowlers, and three seams, and a spinner. 
Right, there is that. But I don't, I don't think this, I don't think Somerset would do that, do they? I don't think Abel or I don't think Abel wants to um, have, play as a fourth seamer, does he? So, yeah, does fourth seamer now is is laminable or whatever you yeah, want to call true. it? Because Tom um, Tom Lamanby, I was quite impressed with, you know, because I missed a lot of Thursday and Friday for various reasons. I did watch bits of it back, etc. And you know, he looked the bowler that we've seen in T Twenty, but was he's, he's more than just someone you throw the ball to and over before T in my mind, and that will help his batting a bit if he's got a little bit of bowling in there as well. And that wicket he got was you know moved you know angling angling in and then moved off the moved to go straight. You know that was a perfect delivery to get him out um, hmm. uh, bowled um, you know over the wicket to right hander. Perfect. Look, one question I had was. Does does Will Smead open for the second eleven in the championship? I, I could check at some point, but I don't know if it's been head. Green and Byram that have been opening, and then yeah, I know you know, this played. year. What about previous years? Does, does, does Smead open then? I'm not sure. I don't there know. There wasn't any second eleven cricket last year. I'm no, not, I'm not sure. I, I, actually, Smead did miss a season due to injury, so he's probably not actually played that much second eleven cricket, has he? And I've just got a feeling he's not really open much. For the second, so I'm not sure they see him as an opener, but yeah, I don't know. You see, there's one option we may not be considering. It may be that the team collectively sat down at the start of the season and said, "We we've got to look at how who's going to open with Tom Lamanby," and maybe they had a conversation with Tom Banton and said, "Do you fancy doing it?" Or he might have gone to Jason Kerr and said, "I'll do it." We need an opener. I'm happy to stick. You don't know, do you? And those sort of things would never become public until books are published in years to come and Banton probably worked out well you know he's probably thinking to himself well right I'm missing the IPL where can I start into the Somerset team hang on there's not really anywhere in the middle order but the middle order yeah exactly yeah opening the baton it's it's a job you've got to want to do isn't it it's it's like Mm -hmm. Craig Overton's you know his his mouth and spells that he bowls we bowls himself into the day he's not doing that because he's been motivated to by his captain he's doing that because he's got that inside of him it's it's in his character just to Mm -hmm. never ever give up um and it's exactly the same with opening the bat not with anything really anything more on the twitter questions i don't think there are do we ever do we come to a conclusion about jack leach opening the batting probably not unless it's a night watchman for 10 I've, I'm, I'm going to put forward my theory of if it's a sort of night, wa- night watchman-y opening role because we've got five max 10 overs left in the day maybe yeah maybe. I quite like that yeah he's probably the best night watchman going around isn't he Jack mm. because I can't imagine mm. many uh, they, Alex can, I, can I ask you a Oh, go on. Sorry, go on, I was yeah. just going to say, Alex Tudor, Jason Gillespie and Jack Leach are three great night watchman performances in Test cricket. There's probably more. Those are the three that come to mind for me. Two, a thing about noise and about crowds, um, Gibbo comments quite frequently about how you hear the Somerset side on the effects mics. And I think we've all become attuned to that because we can't get in the ground yet, which is mm-hmm. so frustrating. When you listen to other teams, they are either the effects mics or all the other grounds are turned down, or they're nowhere near as loud. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing I think is we're seeing it because hearing it rather because there's no crowds in the ground. I think that Somerset, particularly of all the grounds, Taunton is the ground that we lose most by not having a crowd in. I was thinking back mm-hmm. to that game, the Gloucester game. 
I can't imagine that the crowd wouldn't have been really up at key points of that game and, and helping. Oh, absolutely. You know, and then you go to Leicester or I've been to Edgbaston a couple of times and, and living up here, I've been to Old Trafford a few times and Headingley a few times. Headingley is the only ground, I would say, that has got anywhere near the crowd atmosphere. And that's diluted because it's so huge and two thirds of it is closed off to the public. So, you know, it's like you play in a stadium on one side and a cricket ground on the other side almost. But the football teams clearly that have missed having their home crowds more than others. But I think uh, if we can get, we've got Hampshire back at Taunton when crowds will be in all being well, I think that will be a big, a big factor as well. But do you agree with me that, can you think of any other counties that have been, that missed the crowds as much as we do? Certainly not for championship cricket. Um, no. I was just thinking there when, when you were talking about the Somerset team making noise, perhaps they, they have to be that noisy because they're the only team that regularly plays championship cricket in front of uh, more than one man and a dog. Yeah. So they have to make themselves heard above the crowd when they're talking to each other. But yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, it's certainly, it's, I just can't wait to get back. It was um, just so weird going there Saturday after not having been there for, um, well, probably same as you Steve since that Essex game in 2019 on that last day we're just having a moment now <laughs> yeah, a moment. we're just all contemplating the whole in our lives a moment of, re a moment of reflection Mid Middlesex T20 for me so almost as bad as that Essex game it's the one where we were absolutely destroyed oh the, oh, oh. the Max Waller catch game Owen Morgan yeah and that one yeah, yeah. Mm. but it, it was nice that you could actually get to just wander through, uh, wander through the, the tunnel in the Marcus Triscothic Pavilion and just sat in the stands with a little girl. And she was like, "Oh, I want to sit over there, Daddy. Which ones? The, in the red seats? We haven't got, we haven't got any red seats. Yeah, Daddy, the red seats. I haven't got a clue what she means, but so <laughs> if there are some red seats hidden away at Taunton that I haven't seen, please let me know because that's uh, that's where my little girl wants to sit when we go next. But there we are. Um, so yeah, you're right. The first game back is uh, yeah Hampshire, which would be the uh, yeah that's the third of June. So we we actually miss the first round in May. So we should have been yeah, playing New Zealand. Playing New Zealand, and that bizarre reason where the game was arranged, knowing England's COVID situation. England's COVID situation has progressed as it should, if not slightly better. And now they're cancelling the game, which for me, I, I don't understand mm. that for, um, for whatever reason. I'm sure they were well, well, better safe than sorry, I guess, is uh, been New Zealand's government and now cricket team's mantra with COVID. So, yeah, um, first game back June the 3rd. Oh, I need to get myself in the ballot for that. Um, you guys balloted for any uh, any games? Yeah, we're for all of them, might as well. All of them, might as well. Some of, some of you'll be guessed yeah that's true I might do that as well then I need to do that actually just write myself a note ballot entry or I will forget cool um, any other business guys I, I'd just like to put in a word for Donbass yes Don old Yorkshire to victory on Saturday Sunday picked up six for um, but also thanks to Abby, Abby Slade on social media, she put a link up to a podcast that Don Bess is in. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating. I've put a link to it on the links page of my site today. Um, 
he's in conversation with a guy that's called Headstrong. Wow. The, the first half of it, it's just him talking about England and whatever. And I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but the second half, uh, and particularly when he talks about Yorkshire at Taunton in 2019, is A, it warms your heart as a Somerset supporter to hear what he has to say, but it is really moving. I can't, can't emphasize enough how much you should listen to that if you've got the time and the weird thing was i was down for that game and um because it finished on the thursday i went and did some blogging and sat in stragglers on the friday morning and as i was walking through the car park don best came in and he was smiling and he said hello and i said good luck at southampton next week cheers mate let's hope we can go all the way and when you li I listened to how he was and the problems he had during that game, it almost made me cry. And I'm not being a soppy emotional thing. So I, I tweet and mention him regularly because I so want him to succeed. Uh, and I've got nothing but a huge amount of respect for him. I've always liked him. But I sort of do the Dom and Jamie watch. And, of course, Jamie was left out. So... Maybe maybe it won't be long before he's looking for a loan spell back to Taunton. It's, it's an odd one, isn't it? That um, yeah, I I, I didn't realise you were deaf. I, I I've been mad busy this week, so I've been able to follow as much of the games as I'd uh, I'd like to. But it, it always seemed to me a bit of an odd transfer that he was stepping out to another county with the the ambitions of playing for England when he couldn't get into our first team. It, like I say, sometimes you know, sometimes a, a fresh patch of grass will do you the world of good and. Uh, but I think he's had more success at the Oval as a as a batsman than a bowler, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's only taken four or four wickets. I mean, he took one in the T20 last year, and he's taken a couple in the Championship this year for Surrey. Mm -hmm. He's he's not done much yet with the ball, um, and obviously yeah, he was rested last week. Um, I'm sure we'll play again this week. But obviously, playing at the Oval, you know, half his games at the Oval that's difficult because that's you know it was very flat. Mm -hmm against uh, Leicestershire and you know if it's going to stay like that that'll make it difficult for him and he's not taking the new ball as well um, which is and he's bowling second change for Surrey yeah which I thought he was moving to um, take the new ball but it's not how it did happen last year the championship game the, the, the Bob Willis game he played last year he's not opened the bowling in any of the um, championship games he's played this year which is odd um, so see what happens well, Ricky, Ricky Clark and Kimar Roach came in as bowlers didn't they so you know, he, he seems to be in a battle with Ricky Clark for that seven, eight middle or, middle or, lower middle order second change mm -hmm. slot at the moment, which I pretty much, you know, I, I again, I, I love both the twins. I want to see them both in the same Somerset side again one day, and I actually think it will happen one day. And you know, a, you want to see Craig play against Jamie, don't you? Twice this season, that's going to be box office if that happens. Mm -hmm. But I, I just. I, I think as a fan base, and I've always felt this, if you look after and respect the players that have left and understand the reasons why they left, so, you know, the three most recent, Joss, Dom and Jamie, and we all, you know, as we can on social media, say supportive things and follow them and congratulate them when they've done well. There's no animosity there for my part. There shouldn't be. You you know, anyone who's in a job and has got a chance to better themselves would do it if they were offered the chance. And there's always the option that they might come back. Um, 
so to me it's it's one of those no-brainers i just wish i want to say now i wish them both all the best i was really gutted when i saw jamie wasn't playing um i'm really pleased when i flipped over on saturday evening and don best was taking wickets for fun so you know good luck to them both and hope to see them hope to see them at taunton later in the season yep 13th of may surrey visit the county ground for overton versus overton round one and I'm just gutted that we can't be there to watch it because I'm mm. sure it will be fireworks. If we're happy, we'll uh, we'll knock it on the head there, guys, and convene oh, this time next week. Well, I'll have a look back at the Middlesex game. But for Steve Tancock, Dan Kingdom, and the, I was about to say recently departed Anthony Gibson, but that might uh, be taken the wrong way. Uh, the now barbecuing Anthony Gibson, uh, I'm Ian Shepherd. <laughs> Thanks for looking, uh, looking listening to uh, this episode of Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Uh, if you want to drop us an email, we are the Somerset Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, we're either Somerset Podcast or Always Look on the Bright Side of Life on Facebook. I always forget because I never do anything on there. And on Twitter, where I talk a frightful amount of rubbish, we are at Somerset Podcast. I hope you enjoy the Middlesex game and I hope uh, the boys have a great result. Uh, best of luck to Tom Oval and the guys, and we will catch you next week. <laughs>